0: Salaam and hello everyone. this is Lily. As you know, we're taking a little break and on that break, I hope that you guys are all taking a break as well and having some good, healthful, happy sex. <laughs> that is what our friend Julie Guthiri Goko would recommend for you in this episode the way that intimacy, you know, is so important in all of our lives. And so Julie came on a couple months ago. And again, one of those episodes where we heard from readers, she answers your questions. There are several in this episode, questions that came from you. So dig in, get comfortable, put the headphones on if you need to, if the kids are nearby and enjoy this episode of Let's Get It On with my friend, psychosexual therapist, Julie Guthiri-Goko.
1: But sex is the easy part, Lily. Yes, yes. The actual thank act you. of Say sex that. is the easy yeah, part. Absolutely. The conversation around it is the hardest part that people don't have. Hmm. And so after sex, they're left thinking, "I feel dissatisfied. I would have wanted this. I maybe next time I'll ask." Right. But the time never happens.
0: Salam and hello. My name is Lily Bekala Piper and happy Valentine's Day and welcome to the show. I'm so glad you've tuned in today. I don't know about you, but for me, Valentine's Day is mostly just a day. My husband and I, over the last many years, have just decided you know what? We're just going to try and keep love alive so we don't need to necessarily celebrate the holiday. But as I look around Nairobi, it is certainly a day that people are into. The holiday seems to have taken off and people are out there spending money, making plans of how to spread a little romance and love this day. So if that's you, I hope you're having a beautiful day today. So in honor of this kind of made-up holiday, I have to admit, we thought we would do an episode all about love, intimacy, pleasure, and sex. That's right, sex. That's what our topic is about today. So, if that is a topic that is sensitive to you or maybe a little bit tender, it might be an episode that you want to skip. But we are going to talk about it from a way that I hope makes you feel empowered and makes you Mm. feel strong and connected, not just to your partner, but also to yourself. Here on the continent, we haven't always done the best job of talking about sex. Some of us may have grown up in homes where it wasn't mentioned at all. And certainly most of our education systems in the continent don't have sexual education. So a lot of us are learning about sex from media or from friends. Some cultures, like in Uganda, have a tradition of sengas where there are people in your community, aunties or other trusted loved ones who do talk about sex and try and prepare young people before they get married. But sex isn't just in marriage anymore, We, we know that. We know that people are having sex all the time before they wed, at young ages, at old ages. And the purpose of this show today is just for us to have a real conversation with information that helps us feel more connected, empowered, strong, and connected both to ourselves and to our partners, to help us feel positively about sex. And that's really what I want for all of us. You know, for us as Black people, as Africans, as members of the diaspora, it's really time for us to feel more positively and more confident in our sexual health and well-being. So to help us get to that point, I have my Good friend. And truly, she is my friend. I know every episode you think I call every guest my friend, (laughs) but truly today, my very good friend, Julie Githiri Goko is with us. Julie is a psychodynamic, psychosexual psychotherapist who has over two decades of experience treating people both in the United Kingdom and here in Kenya. She has a master's in psychosexual therapy and has experience working with trauma-focused therapy, depression, addiction, anxiety, and sexual dysfunction. Julie is also written as a sexual health columnist for Couture Africa magazine and is a member of both the Kenya Counseling and Psychological Association, as well as the British Association for Counseling and Psychotherapy. Julie has been in private practice for many years and just brings to the show just a wealth of information. And so I could not be more pleased to have Julie back on the show today. Thank you, Julie, for being Thank with you, us. Lili. So glad to have you here. So I will just out myself at the beginning to mm-hmm. say that this is not an easy topic for me to talk about. <laughs> I'm feeling a little nervous, but I'm just gonna, you know, go with the flow mm-hmm. and be a vessel for some of the questions that we have for you today.
1: Okay. Okay, let's you're going go. to help me. Yeah, yeah you're going to dig deep in the
0: friend bucket yes. and the
1: therapist bucket. <laughs> but it's interesting help that me. sex is so difficult to talk about, yet we all came about through a sexual encounter.
0: Yes, thank you for framing it that way. Indeed, we would not be here had it not been for this
1: good thing. That's it. Yeah. So we're going to get
0: into it today. So in fact, I want to appreciate the women in my life and, and my producers, Rahma and Becky's lives, who mm-hmm. we asked, could you give us some questions? What is on your mind about sex? What do you want to know? And so thank you to all those women who actually sent us some questions. So Julie, the questions that I'm sharing with you came from women that we love and know and, and who had questions for you. So yeah. we're going to try and get through as many of them as we can. Mm-hmm. There were so many, which really does show us that I think trusted information around yeah. sex that doesn't just come from social media mm-hmm. or from, you know, a TV show is really lacking and that we need yeah. more of this kind of conversation. So let's just get into it. All right. So the first question we had, which is something I think a lot of us can relate to, especially on a Valentine's Day, is, you know, this question says, we've been in a relationship for a long time and the romance has fizzled out. How do we bring it back and keep it alive? And I do want to acknowledge that this question uh, comes from somebody who says romance has fizzled out. Not yeah. necessarily sex, yes. but romance. And I think sometimes we conflate the two. Yes. You know, they become one and the same. So answer the question as however you would interpret that.
1: And also you're saying we. Yeah. So it's implying that both of them are experiencing it as the same. It has fizzled out for both. So it's it's difficult because when we think about relationships that have lasted for a long time... We can't have the same momentum and drive as we did from the start. You know, you're busy, you've got work, maybe you've gotten a family and you've gotten into this sort of mundane tasks and getting on in daily life. So it's difficult to get the momentum unless you then are really intentional about it. And that means prioritizing the relationship, that this is almost like the relationship can be a business.
0: Absolutely.
1: Yeah. Not just a business, but like on the
0: to-do list.
1: Yeah. (laughs) What can we do to make the relationship more fun and exciting? What things did we do that we're no longer doing? How can we bring in that date night, not just just because it's Valentine's Day, but because you want to, Mm. because you're interested in your partner. You know, sometimes different seasons come in life and you can't be bothered to put it in the work with your partner. That just happens. Sure. But, you know, it's being able to say that I'm going to be intentional, I'm going to be deliberate, I'm going to be loving, I'm Mm. going to be caring, and I'm going to put the spark in it. Not because my partner wants to, but I want to receive something that's of benefit. Mm. Yeah. So you're not doing it for them, you're doing it for yourself. And Uh, By extension, then they benefit and then give back generously Mm. as well.
0: Mm. So this idea of doing it for them, actually it's reciprocal. It's it's planting the seed, watering it, but you're reaping the benefit at the end of the day. Absolutely. And then they do the same. Mm. Let's hope so, right? Yeah. Let's hope that that reciprocates. Okay, so on a similar vein, the the next question is, you know, I never initiate sex. I simply don't feel comfortable to, and I often do not have the desire to, although I know my husband would like me to do so sometimes. Mm -hmm. And this person ends with help, Mm. <laughs> so help, Julie, this initiating of sex, getting started in the first place. But
1: the one that doesn't initiate tends to hold the control within the sexual relationship mm. because that, their partner then never gets to feel desired. Wow. Yeah, yeah, they always are pursued, they can reject, they can decide actually I don't want sex right now, I want it in this kind of way. So that, they're in control. So one of my questions to that individual would be, you know, what's what are, are some of the discomforts around initiating? Is it letting go of the control? Is the communication poor? Because if the communication, if we look at communication as a way of foreplay, Hmm. then by the time you're actually getting to sex, penetrative sex or any kind of sex, you're already excited and yeah. drawn into the relationship. But if the communication isn't there, you're not going to want to initiate because maybe you're angry. And usually anger is one of the most divisive parts sure. of that, that can play out within a sexual relationship. So, so the initiating or lack of may be to do with some of the underlying issue around communication. Which
0: kind of goes to your first yeah question around the intention and making your time for your partner putting investing in the relationship all these things dovetail into each other but let's talk about the communication piece because I think it would be easy to hear you say that and just hear flirting or sexting Mm -hmm. or being you know like initiating that the communication being linked to initiating sex Mm -hmm. is there more to the communication in a relationship other than just let's get it on yeah
1: it's being able to be intimate is able to be vulnerable to talk mm. about the emotional piece, how you're feeling in your day to day, maybe about children, but more from a place of not tasks, but you know, your worries, your concerns, your fears, your joys, those kind of, those type mm. of conversations, not just, have you paid the bills? Do you have impesa Have mm. we got shopping? Is mm. there milk in the house? Those things you can have with anybody, but something of real value. Yeah, and then if you're connecting with a partner in a play, in a way that it feels intentional and more vulnerable and emotional, then it's kind of a segue into then having sex with somebody, because mm. you're feeling connected. That's that's what it's you're connection. trying to it's yeah,
0: right. It's the actual physical acts of physical act of sex is an extension of, of the connection that you should have absolutely. emotionally. Right. Absolutely. And it's interesting, you know, we definitely get into seasons, my husband and I joke about this, where we're like in roommate season. Yes. Where there's just so much to do. We're like, you know, there's a busy season where we're expecting guests or we're about to, you know, kids' school is yes. starting again and you're just like task-oriented, you know, and we have to catch ourselves and we're like, wait, you're not my roommate. Yes, <laughs> You are my partner. Yes. You're my lover. You're all these things. But it's so easy, especially in the world that we live in now, where it's just so hectic. Yeah. It feels hectic all the time. Yeah. What, do you have any good uh, ways to help us slow down and, and, and create that? I mean, connection? that's it.
1: It's slowing down, mm. realizing that you're not roommate's that this person has and shares a unique relationship with you mm. that you've decided not to have with any other person, if that's a monogamous relationship, that you've decided it's this person only and what, dif- d- what differentiates this relationship from any other? And it'll be the level of emotion and connection and the sexual intimacy. So yeah. being able to remind them and being, being able to communicate. Actually, we haven't had sex in a while and I need this. Yeah. Being confident to say, you know, my body needs, I desire you. I would like to be intimate.
0: Yeah. That's that. Yeah. Wow. (laughs) Even saying that makes me blush. Glad I'm black. Um, You know, when you're saying all that, too, it makes me think about how much we talk with our girlfriends. I'll just talk about women because I don't know if men do this per se, but we talk with our girlfriends and we can get very, very intimate. And we share these like really close connections. I think we often crave that connection. Mm And but you said something that really resonates with me is that with your partner, your sexual partner, um there is a connection that you've decided you're only going to share with that person if yes. you're in a monogamous relationship, which is I will say from the listeners is probably how we're framing most of the relationship the conversation today is in the context of monogamy. So um and that is really what makes it unique is that it yes. is a singular person you've decided to have a different relationship but I think we sometimes miss that honestly because there, we do especially as women connect with one another so much Yes, that the intimacy we have with our girlfriends can kind of we don't because, invest the same with our partner yes yeah,
1: because we're women we, we share things that you know that, that your girlfriend is going to understand right. in the, maybe in a similar way to yourself so then to share with your partner you have to explain a lot <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> They're the not going to get, they're going to understand yeah, yeah. the context, so but it's important because yeah. the more they understand about you, the more they connect with you. And yeah. the more they connect with you and you feel connection, a connection with them, you're going to want to have a different kind of sexual yeah. relationship yeah, with them. definitely. Mm. All right, so. so. It's all pieces in a puzzle.
0: It is. And you know, it makes me realize too, just how much this one conversation is not, we're not going to get to everything because yeah. it is. It's layer upon layer, it's pieces in mm. a puzzle. It's a web that you're weaving kind of constantly, especially if you're in a long-term relationship. Yes. Um, there are a couple of questions coming up that are more about, I think, the shorter term relationships, so that some of your answers may change. Yes. And you're not thinking about forever mm-hmm. with that partner. But when you are thinking about forever, it's it's a lot to think about. Yeah. Cause every, every seed you plant, kind of, it's going to pop up eventually, right? Yes. You're going to have to deal with that eventually. So, okay, a little bit of a fun question here since it's Valentine's Day, Julie. Mm-hmm. Um, this this listener slash friend of ours, <laughs> I should say, said, um, I could never buy a sex toy, but I do want to have more fun with sex.
1: Are there basic tips for making sex more interesting or fun? Sex toys are interesting in that the go-to would be that you're going to then work towards having an orgasm. But that's right. why somebody wants a sex toy.
0: Wait, isn't that what all sex should be working towards?
1: Not necessarily. Really? Yeah. Well,
0: this is a change of... Uh, yeah, okay. because
1: if you're using a sex toy, then you're using something battery-operated, sure, which no mouth, finger, or vagina is ever going to replicate. Mm. So you're setting yourself up to then getting a heightened level of arousal and climax that no real human will ever help you achieve. So it's something that's called an idiosyncratic masturbatory style. There's actually a term for it. Okay. That your, your body will never... Get that level of stimulation from another person can't. Oh, I mean,
0: okay, of sure. that makes sense. <laughs> I mean, like using a, yeah. a, a high speed blender, supposed yes. as opposed to a whisk, exactly is not gonna happen. Okay, but let me let me ask you this is interesting. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't consider myself an expert in this area, but I, this is new information for mm-hmm. me. So, I would let me ask you though, so is it discouraged then the use of that so that people don't then have dissatisfaction when they're with a real human?
1: Well, it's. In fact, when I work with clients with sexual dysfunction and looking at orgasm, I wouldn't advise it. If it's for a female and she wants to find pleasure, start with your hand. Okay. You know, that one is, it's not going to move at whatever You're going to get a cramp, so you can only go so far. (laughs) Exactly. I'm just saying I've heard, yes. (laughs) (laughs) So it's not going to work the same way. So you want to try and limit the level of stimulation so that you can replicate it with your partner. So that you can give okay. them guidance from what it is that you've learned from using your own equipment, your own hand, yeah. rather than using something. that's really good something. advice, hmm.
0: especially for young people. I think sex toys and all that is out there so much. Like, I feel like when we were younger, yeah. you had to really look for it. Now you can definitely order on Jumia, I've heard. <laughs> yeah. So I think, again, I think it's good for people to know that this it's is not going the same as a yeah. human partner. And yeah. you need to know that. Yeah. Okay, so you don't always recommend that no. that's the best case for, no. for people. That's not going to, mm-hmm. say, serve you long term or yeah. your relationship. Well, you
1: could use it maybe as a one-off with your sure. partner. Sure. But then you're and getting with your into with another realm yeah. of conversation that sure. you feel safe enough to say, mm-hmm. let's do this. Let's share mm-hmm. this level of stimulation with each other each other, and you introduce them. But some okay. couples don't get there. So right. it's being able to maybe use your hands, if you're going to do that on your own, and not then find that when you're having sex with them, things are very different.
0: I think that's really important because mm-hmm. I think that's the same for not only the toys, but it's like images on Instagram or or any social media, right? Like, a woman looks like that on uh, in, on the media, but yes. doesn't look like that in real life, right? Mm-hmm. It's the whole porn complex. Yes. Like, and what we've done to Women and the mm-hmm. image of women in real life, as averse yeah. to an image hairless, rippleless. Yeah, this image, it just on. doesn't make sense. It's not real, <laughs> no, no, and so all of this is actually no. interfering, probably, with yes. the reality of sex that we all live with day yes. to day, um, which is really, yeah, a, kind of a, a tragic outcome of our modern society. Yes, for sure. Okay, so the the, the listener slash writer of this question said, "What are the basic tips to make sex more interesting or fun?" Then, so you're saying, start with your hands. Start yes. with kind of basic what you have available, attached to your body. Mm -hmm. Um, What else? What are some other tips for making fun? Today's Valentine's Day. Mm -hmm. Potentially people are going to try and have some fun today. So what are some? Using your your
1: imagination. Okay. What kind of role plays would you like? What kind of fantasies have you thought of? What things do you feel comfortable to share and enact? together what things maybe had you done before in the earlier stages of dating that you've kind Mm. of feel a bit embarrassed to bring up now but you know at one point the two of you were doing that so it's not too far away being able to rekindle that and those memories and try and reintroduce them into this stage of the relationship
0: why do people like role play doesn't that feed into that same idea of like the fakeness of a toy or but it's fun Okay,
1: just a simple, it's pure just, fun. It's just fun. And you're, you're getting to a level of vulnerability with your partner that yeah. you can be playful. Okay, the it's vulnerability. See, yeah. that underneath the fun yeah. is what creates a, creates a connection. But it's just like kids. See, kids mm. play, play dress up. Mm. They're in this role play. They're being doctors, they're nurses, they're teachers, but they're just going into their imagination and playing out something that they would like to experience. Sure. And now as adults, you're just finding a different way to play, which is just through sex.
0: Okay, okay. So I like how you say that, too, because I think if we can play, then maybe some of that pressure, that performance anxiety, maybe that lifts a bit from people and the need to look or sound like whatever you've seen Mm -hmm. goes away and you can kind of maybe hopefully stay in the moment and have fun. Okay, that's good. I like that. Mm. You're good. You're good, Julie. Okay. (laughs) I'm trying. There's so many more questions, so we're trying to get through as many as we can. Um, This is a a question I think many people could relate to. As a woman, sometimes I can compromise on my own pleasure.
1: Mm-hmm. How do I make sure our pleasures are equally centered? I suppose, are they ever going to be equally centered? Mm. I suppose that's the dilemma in that. Because there are so many things at play there when you think about equality and sexuality. Is Culture will come into it, religion will come into it, Your education around sex whether there's a feeling of, of not wanting me to be too sexually dominant and then perceived as being promiscuous. It, it, mm. it, it taps into so much about the individual as to how they're going to show up within a sexual experience with a partner. Yeah. So it may be, I will not talk about my sexual needs and let them feel pleasure. I'm here to serve right. rather than be attended to. Hmm.
0: So it sounds it doesn't like make it not right. a good
1: or, or easy answer to that. No. <laughs>
0: but I guess it goes to that connection and having trust in the partnership.
1: Feeling safe within the relationship safe. that you yeah. can ask for sex to continue even if your partner has climaxed. Hmm.
0: Yeah. Because, you know, the
1: assumption is when he comes, sex ends.
0: Right, right. Whereas what you're
1: saying is, you know, I want to think about my own sexual needs and this will continue for however long it continues for. And this person loves me enough and is connected enough to me to want me to get to a place of climax, if that's what, if that's what I'm looking for. Right. Yeah. And it seems like you should have that conversation maybe before. Yeah. You're in the act
0: yeah. or post act because it seems like after a moment you might not be as successful <laughs> getting the response that you want. Yeah, because you know, too late right? by that point. Yeah. They're thinking, okay, yeah. we're done. I was talking to uh, Rahma, my producer, beforehand saying if this was a conversation around nutrition, I wouldn't be feeling nervous or any kind of way. I'd just be like, oh, let's talk about nutrition. But how it's about sex make you, know, you feel a little bit nervous, you know. And yes. so similarly with our own partner who we're going to have sex with, yes. we will struggle to have these conversations beforehand. We get into the act. Something doesn't go maybe the way we want to, and we struggle to have a conversation about it. Yes, but sex is the
1: easy part, Lily. Yes, yes. The actual thank act you. of Say sex that. is the easy yeah, part. Absolutely. The conversation around it is the hardest part that people don't have. Hmm. So after sex, they're left thinking, I feel dissatisfied, I would have wanted this, I, maybe next time I'll ask. Right, But the time never happens. So I started off this conversation talking a little bit about our context here in
0: the continent mm-hmm. around our vocabulary or lack thereof, our education, yeah. exposure to sex in healthy, positive ways. I'm yeah. not talking about simply knowing it exists or you know, the dysfunction we see. How is, can we kind of do better around this? Because you're right, I mean... The conversation around it is too difficult. And mm-hmm. I think in our cultures in particular, it's too difficult. And mm-hmm. we don't have proper sex education. Yeah. And, and if it's in and forget sex education, I just can reflect on my own experience of, of pre-puberty and not mm-hmm. having a proper conversation with my mom, even about menstruation. And then you start menstruating and completely freak out. And mm-hmm. that's just that's not even sex, you know? So, and that's still the case for so many of our young yeah. people. So if we can sidetrack the pause, the pleasure sex mm-hmm. conversation, just talking about the communication around sex piece, what are you seeing in your work that you can advise us on? What can we do better to start having healthier, more frequent, and normal conversations around sex so that, you know, our kids have better situations than we have had?
1: Well, we would have then have to be in a more of a comfortable place to talk about sex mm-hmm. before you can then talk to your child about sex right. and even talking to them about, about their bodies. Because when we think about puberty and girls starting their period, we're thinking about, oh, my God, they're going to fall pregnant. You know, the language around it, right. it seems like it's something right. disastrous. Right. And now you're going to get pregnant. It happens to you. You're not part of... You're not right. part you're of. pregnant. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. The language yeah. is all, you know, yeah. it's, it's negative. Right. But if we're then comfortable in ourselves to talk about sex and relationships, then we're communicating something different to our children. We're helping them understand how to communicate consent using the words Absolutely. no, thinking about proximity, how close we let people, to, you know, close enough to our body, especially as young children, being able to communicate what they like and don't like around touch. Then they, the older they get and you've introduced this kind of communication, you would hope it would extrapolate into relationships with other adults.
0: That's great, Julie. I think that the the three things you said that are so so important: consent, touch, there's one more proximity. Proximity. I think all those three things in our culture, in our African cultures, it's all like, "Go give auntie a hug, a kiss," which is we understand the intention mm-hmm. behind that. But I think we need to also empower our kids also to yes. know positive touch, negative touch. Some of our schools are teaching that. Many of them are not. Mm-hmm. Um, this idea of proximity. You know, my, my daughter and I have, have, she started a menstrual health program. And, and in the early, early stages of going into some communities, talking to girls about their menstrual health, and eventually how they translated it was it, the uh, transactional sex mm-hmm. is what it quickly went to. And bodily autonomy came up. And it was like, oh, I don't have to say yeah. Yes. In order to get pads, I don't have to have sex yes. with the border driver. I don't have to. I'm like, yes, you do have autonomy, yes. but just never having been told that you do is is crippling. Yeah. Um. And I think the culture may not change quick enough, mm-hmm. but we have got to start putting those messages out there. Proximity, touch, and consent are yes.
1: huge. They're and, huge. And everyone needs to have that language. Yeah. Especially yeah. in, as you said, in in the the culture and even in our day to day. You know, you find children maybe because of responsibilities that parents are in or have they're left with maybe an, a care a carer yeah. at home you know just being able to be able to say no around washing private areas washing genitals Absolutely. being seated on a border with a stranger you know you're so yeah. close just areas where sometimes children are put into which then teach them something else around how close strangers are allowed to get close to their body it's being so able important. to to teach them something else around consent and saying no
0: so, you know, I think for those of us, for those listening, if if you are in any position in a relationship with a child that's a trusting mm. relationship where you have that space to have those conversations, please do. It's so important and, and could really save and, and, and protect their lives mm. and protect their safety. So sure. thank you. That's such, such important information. Um, okay. A couple of really good questions coming up here that I think are really specific, but I think really important. So someone asked us, how do I get back into the groove after a divorce? This, I love
1: this question. Yeah, it is a, it's a very lovely question yeah. because somebody wants to get back. You know, they're, not say, they're not seeing that life has ended or love or sex yeah. has ended after a divorce, after a marriage has ended. But equally, this group of people tend to be most at risk because they've had a relationship for a period of time where they've maybe felt protected. They haven't had to use protection for sex. True. (laughs) Yeah, of course. They haven't had to negotiate maybe sex as well. You don't know. And now they're in a situation where they're exposed to risk. Mm. It's rough out on the streets nowadays, you know. And when you say risk, do you mean emotional risk? Do you mean health risk? Health risk. Okay. Emotional risk, especially sexually STIs. You know, they're now in a place where maybe they're thinking, I'm close to menopause. The risk of getting pregnant is low. But there's so many other risks out there. Sure. And being able to navigate and negotiate safe yeah, sex is yeah, hard. Yeah, for sure. Yeah.
0: Okay, so you've told us what the risks are, but how do they get back in their groove then? What do they do? Well,
1: oh, they just, they, they have to try, you know. They have mm. to try, but with caution. Okay. Taking it slowly. Are they ready for a relationship? What, even the starting point is, what are they looking for? Are they That's looking for question. just a sexual partner? Right. Or are they looking for a relationship? And if it is, either one of those, how can they keep themselves safe in meeting people, putting themselves out there, whether it's online dating, whether it's being introduced to a friend of a friend, but just taking their time?
0: Yeah, I think that's really good advice, taking their time. Yeah, Yeah. there's no rush. Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, It's maybe I think also when you have been in a relationship and you're no longer in you're missing so much more than just the sexual intimacy, I'm sure, right? The emotional intimacy, Mm -hmm. the partnership, the companionship. Yes. And like you said, identifying what it is that you're seeking, what Mm -hmm. it is, and can it be met through other ways is it yes. something other than a partner or a sexual partner that can meet those needs but for i suppose you. there's
1: something very valuable but having a sexual relationship yeah, that maybe is something missing that they want to get that met through a, a, another partner
0: and i imagine too there must be trust that has to be rebuilt yeah. i mean within your your practice is there a window of time that you advise clients to say like if you've been through because another question we had mm-hmm. and maybe I should just go to that one was kind of around how do you reestablish intimacy after a betrayal yeah so uh, you know a, a marriage may have ended in a divorce mm-hmm. unrelated to betrayal mm-hmm. but either way a, a commitment has ended yes. so is there a period of time where you think someone is particularly emotionally vulnerable mm-hmm. and you should probably avoid because I know I've read you shouldn't make any life decisions yes. like within six months or yes. something like that, after a yes. divorce or something. Mm-hmm. So, what's your general advice for making those kind of bigger commitments after divorce? Is there a window? If we
1: think of grief, yeah, and some the loss of a loved one, yeah, the period of time could be anything from eighteen months to two years. Okay. Before what? Before you start, before you want to re-engage maybe, or you're having brighter days okay, and you're wow. feeling in a, in a maybe brighter, more happier place. Yeah. So if you look at it, maybe... Use that as a guide for a relationship ending, mm. and then thinking about starting you something. Okay, new. sort okay. of eighteen months to two years.
0: Wow! So as deep as grief as a loved one, because you, yeah, you're you're mourning as the loss the of morning, a life you have exactly. created with someone. Something yeah. that you
1: imagined wouldn't end maybe in the way mm. that it has, especially if it's been from a betrayal. Right,
0: right. Of course. So eighteen months to two years. I think that's good advice for also those of us who love people who are have gone through a divorce or through yes. a betrayal to know it is the same as. It is a real grief. A real it needs grief. time and it needs support and yes. um, to support our friends in those spaces. So to in terms of establishing trust after intimacy and, and, and intimacy mm-hmm. after betrayal, um, I'm sure that is something that must come up quite a lot in your practice. Yes. You know, what are how do you begin to rebuild those bridges and establish intimacy after betrayal? Because that's different than sex.
1: It's <laughs> surprisingly, usually after betrayal. The couple need and they need to connect. They crave connection from each other. So you may find they go through a period of a lot of sex.
0: Okay, interesting. Yeah.
1: In order to get that intimacy. In order to get that mm. intimacy and not have to talk about what actually happened. It's almost sort of glossing Isn't over the betrayal and hurt by saying, actually, I'm having sex again. This is great. We don't have to get to it. But it doesn't last. Right. Because it's false and the cracks soon appear when they realize, actually, I'm really hurt and I'm really angry. And then building the trust again can take a. Sometimes it doesn't happen. Hmm. Sometimes people don't get to a place where they're able to forgive and move on together, but they find a way, a happier way to part. And go their go their separate ways.
0: Yeah, yeah, you said earlier that the sex was the easy part. Yeah, sex is the easy the part. The, the conversation around it, is hard. The intimacy around it, Absolutely. all of that is the hard part. It's hard. Wow. You know, uh, TV has lied to us. The movies have lied to us. <laughs> <laughs> they <laughs> have. Yeah. The they sex have. is the easy part. It's everything else that really takes mm. the everything else, the head, the heart to to cooperate, you know? Yes. Yeah. This was a really interesting question. I thought that um was a really good one. Is, there, is it normal for a sex drive to change with the seasons? For example, could it be lower in the winter? Or like right now, it's so hot. It's so hot. In Nairobi.
1: Yeah.
0: Are people going to have a different uh, time between the sheets? <laughs> well, I suppose
1: when, when you, if you think of going on holiday, mm. people tend to have more sex when they're on holiday. And typically, we go on holiday weather somewhere, where there's sunshine. Mm-hmm. So yes, seasons play a part. And... Having sex in the winter—it's really cold and grey and miserable. You're not maybe so inclined to do that because the environment needs to be more conducive. And I would think summer, people want to be warm. Yeah, summer works because it is warm, but then you don't want too hot either. Yeah, exactly. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. I think
0: winter would be better because you
1: warm me no, up. No, wow. no, no. Because like grey, it's miserable. Maybe it's mm. raining. Mm. It's just not the kind of environment you imagined for sex. But if it's sunny, it changes your mood anyway. Yeah, yeah. So seasons definitely play a part, but also seasons in life.
0: I feel like this is also yeah. a question that only a woman would ask. I feel like no man anywhere has ever looked outside and been like, oh, it's grey. I don't feel like sex today. I don't feel like any man anywhere has ever felt that. If I'm wrong, please let me know. But I definitely don't feel like that's ever true. But but that's good to know. I guess to give yeah. ourselves grace mm-hmm. when we're like, I'm in a funk and it's been raining when rainy season hits, like, yeah. give yourself grace. It's yeah. rainy season. It will pass. It will pass. Seasons pass. pass. Okay. So something that doesn't always pass, and I really, really appreciate the vulnerability of this question, Mm. is mental health. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, we live with our mental health day in and day out. Some of us are blessed to find good therapists who can help us or or medication that works, but not everyone. So this question is, how do I navigate sex drive on antidepressants? Mm -hmm. What they don't say, but I think what I have read in the past is that antidepressants can suppress your sex drive. Some Mm -hmm. can. And, you know, I know in your practice, you, you have treated people for just mental health mm-hmm. and, and some of sexual dysfunction and, yes. and the both combinations. So how do you advise people, you know, to try and keep sex and want to keep having sex, even if the medication they're taking is dampening their sex drive?
1: Usually, depending on the antidepressant, it's usually in the transition stage that the libido tends to drop because the body's adjusting. In mean transition stage. As in, you're, you're, you're getting used to it. It's okay. sort of the so first
0: couple, the of, first weeks, couple of months. The first couple of months, maybe
1: your body is adjusting to the medication. And in that phase, your libido may be low. Okay. But if it goes for an extended period of time, then there's another there's a number of options to think about it's looking at the dosage it's looking at the type of medication Medi- and antidepressants don't work in isolation so what, what do you mean by that? as in what else is somebody doing in order to help their mood okay yeah okay are they exercising are they eating well are they resting well all these things make up good and healthy mental health. Because if we look at the brain and the gut, I mean, those two work together. We're looking at dopamine levels. We're looking at serotonin. So those need to be, it's a partnership. So if somebody is on antidepressants, how are they also helping themselves? Are they in therapy as well to then counteract how their mood might also be low and to get motivation and be able to work through some of the challenges which have maybe impacted their, their mental health negatively?
0: Yeah, mm. that's a really good point that we're, we're yeah, we're nothing works in isolation, no, right? No, <laughs> it doesn't, it doesn't. Yeah, yeah, so it has to be. And, and I realize, I think that, the older I get, especially just that having a good therapist is, is such a privilege. If you can mm-hmm. navigate and find a good one, and yeah. it's from a cost perspective, yeah. time perspective, yeah. um, even a culture perspective, yeah. you know, so it's many, a commitment. It's a it's, commitment. It's a, and, a relationship. You know, it's a relationship you have to mm-hmm. build. And so, if if someone can't get a, find a therapist, is it safe to be on antidepressants only? Or you really do recommend it needs to be in, in the care of somebody yeah who can monitor your absolutely I yeah. mean if
1: somebody's on an antidepressant you would at least hope they've got a psychiatrist
0: yeah somebody
1: yeah. is prescribing that right and they're talking to somebody who is reviewing and keeping on t- keeping them in check with regards to medication yeah but even still they still need somebody to talk through some of the challenges that they are having yeah,
0: yeah. Really important really yeah. important um, and exercise. Exercise.
1: Exercise. Yeah, We take it for granted.
0: Mm, mm, This is a simple walk. Mm, A simple walk, yeah. Yeah. There's so many good apps out there. Um, One of my favorites is like the New York Times 7-Minute Workout. Do you know this one? You can do it in your house. It's seven minutes and you don't need any special equipment. And it's just a great workout and it works all... Parts of the body, I think you need a chair. That's what you need. You need a chair. Excellent. Yeah. And um, and if you're very fit, you can increase it from seven minutes to 14 to 21. I mean, it just goes in increments. Seven yes. movements, one minute each, and then you can just increase the time. Um, yeah, I'm not super diligent about doing that one particularly, but I found that, like, in the very least, I have seven minutes. Yes. Like, if I'm ever <laughs> traveling or, you know, you've gone up country yeah. to visit family, yeah. and like, I can't work out here, I don't have my treadmill, Yeah. I can't walk, you can do seven minutes. Yeah. And uh, it's, yeah. Exercises, yeah,
1: it's key. I mean, even this year, I've started walking around, going to Jeffries, yeah, just getting yeah. out, especially yeah. in this in this weather. It's yeah, beautiful. for sure, for sure. Yeah,
0: mm. I don't like exercise, but I like the high at the end. So I'm, chasing, I'm chasing that. <laughs> yeah, chasing that dopamine for sure. All right, again, another wonderful question. Again, just a thank you for all these amazing women who sent these questions in. I really do appreciate them. So, this question: It's my first time dating a person of the same gender. Mm-hmm. How do I approach intimacy?
1: I suppose, would it be different? Or are they coming from a place that's very heteronormative? You know, they've maybe grown up in a home where there's been... They haven't been same-sex parents, so there's an assumption of how their gendered parents will behave within a relationship with somebody and maybe they're conforming to that. Mm. But being able to have conversations with their partner around, same way we looked at earlier, being able to communicate what it is that they want within that relationship. Is Is it an intimate relationship or is it just going to be an emotional relationship? Is it going to be both? And being able to communicate their needs their fears, their anxieties, especially if it's a first-time same-sex relationship. You know, they're experiencing something new and they're in a a sexual minority. So there's already many challenges from the beginning which they need to talk about and navigate through.
0: For sure. Yeah. For sure. yeah. What about the people around them? How can they support them? I think, you know, if we talk about we're not comfortable with sex in in, in African context, we're definitely not comfortable with queer sex. And I think... It, it's at all levels, right? Like, mm-hmm. I, I'm pretty sure in, in a lot of spaces it's still criminalized. It's still criminalized to have it on TV or yes. in movies. It's, yeah. So there's not even places you can look and say, oh, I can see a healthy relationship mm-hmm. here and, mm-hmm. and, and look to that as a model. Like, it's just not there. So how can we build support networks around our those of who we love who are in same-sex relationships? Spe-
1: what, it's seeing what is already out there, mm-hmm. and it may not be amongst friends it may be sort of through books through podcasts through shows that they've seen which are informed and being able to share their anxieties it's talking yeah that even if they have friendship groups which aren't same sex in, in a sexual relationship being able to just communicate with them so that people around them aren't fearful Absolutely. But also being able to keep themselves safe because safety is key. You know, you're not going to feel expressive about your sexuality if you feel that you're going to be at risk of harm. For sure. Yeah. And I,
0: that, that's the part that breaks your heart because, uh, yeah. yeah, if you don't feel safe, you can't feel, can't free. feel free. You can't, can't. feel free. Mm-hmm. And that's uh, a human right. Yeah, it's a human right, plain and simple. Um, I will say there's a great podcast, Afro Queer, mm-hmm. um, that really does tell stories about people from the continent in the queer community that yeah. I would highly recommend. And and say, if you're looking for a resource, that's definitely one in the podcast space I can point to. And we'll look for other ones that I can put in the show mm-hmm. notes. I think we can all do better about supporting the queer community. And um, yeah, you can look for some more content from Salam and Hello in the coming. Months. We're going to yeah. be focusing on that a bit more. So thank you. I think that's an important topic and something that as Africans, we can do better mm-hmm. um, in that space. Um, okay, so a question about young people and sex. <laughs> I, was, uh, I always hesitate around book recommendations, mm-hmm. asking people for that, because it kind of puts you on the spot as being yeah. the, the library mm-hmm. and like the full stop. But no pressure here, Julie. This is just <laughs> more of a general question. Mm-hmm. But any book recommendations on navigating relationships and sex for young people? And to add to that, give us a starting point for talking to our kids about sex in a way that's positive and leaves the door open for future conversations. So maybe a Mm. a mishmash of those. Maybe just Mm. resources that parents can turn to to help them have positive conversations around sex. Mm -hmm. Places you can point them to, online, books, anywhere, just to get the conversation going if they themselves don't feel like they know where to start.
1: I think a starting point, as I was sort of getting into earlier, is finding out how comfortable they feel. Mm. Because when they feel comfortable about talking about sex, their own sex, then they can communicate better to children. And for adults, mm. for children, I'm maybe not, I don't have a list which I could think of at the top of my head, but some, somebody like Esther Perel, you can't sure, go wrong. Sure, You can't go wrong. with. She has so much information out there on sex and relationships. And a start is a good source yeah. of um, yeah. information. A huge, it's a
0: huge digital footprint, a so huge, it's easy to find. Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
1: yeah. Okay. So that would be a problem. starting okay. point. And being able to bring in language that children feel comfortable with and even role play with them. Hmm. How would you say no? Yeah. Being able to give them the accurate names for body parts. We you know? did that
0: with our kids. <laughs> 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 and then yes. we thought we were doing the right thing, giving them anatomical names. I still think uh, we did, but then we would be in public and they'd be like, Mommy, my penis hurts. <laughs> and we'd be like, you know, that's fine. But in Africa, then they're all, they're voices are really caring, <laughs> really loud.
1: <laughs> so, but yes, you got to start that. But it's important. That, yeah, the it's biology. Important. The yeah. biology, they've got mm. to know that this is, this is called this because... Mm. And then they're comfortable with the language. And there's no shame. And You're there's no shame. shame. That's exactly it. Because yeah. we're teaching them shame. I'm going to call it a flower. Yeah. But actually it isn't. Right. It's right. my vulva area. And, yeah. you know, I'm going to call it that. And feel comfortable to say it absolutely. and to know it that way. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. I saw a
0: beautiful thing that Zana Africa did recently. Um, they did a period party mm-hmm. a couple of months ago for young women in Kenya who were having their period for the first time. And wow. they got free pads. Yeah. And they answered questions. It was set up at a... I don't remember maybe a health fair or something mm-hmm. like that, but I just thought this is something that I've seen in the West. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, this is a just a breath of fresh air to see it in the continent. So just to extend on your um uh, you know, your recommendation around using anatomical body parts, yes. celebrating every phase of our children's development, yes. right? You've got your period. This means that you you're in a brand new season of life, yes. right? And and we celebrate that. And we and by celebrating it, we we just completely move out the space for shame yes right absolutely and hopefully by that we create the safety they need to yes. then keep having the conversation about the next phase yes you know and when those feelings start to come in for you know somebody they they feel safe and we can introduce the next topic yes it's, yeah. it's
1: interesting when you find family especially if there's boys within the, the same family you know girls are almost you've got to keep this thing yeah. A secret—you've got to keep it hidden. Right. But actually, it's a part of life. Exactly.
0: Exactly. It's a
1: absolutely. Part of life. Absolutely. <laughs> it's, it's to remove the shame and it stigma is. around it, and being able to talk about it.
0: Absolutely. And yeah. and celebrate it too. Right. Absolutely. Our bodies are a wonder. Absol- our Bodies are a wonder. Absolutely. So, a, a couple more questions, Julie. Um, I, I wanted to spend a little time on this, and I intentionally kind of kept it towards the end of the podcast. Mm-hmm. So, if you've been listening so far, in the in the Conversation has been really kind of easy breezy for you and it's been informative. I'm so glad. I want to ask Julie a question about sexual trauma and recovery yeah. from that. So if this is a sensitive area for you, this might be a good time to, to change the channel. Um, you have, as a therapist and in, in your work, you have worked with clients around sexual trauma. Mm-hmm. There is certainly no three-step program or answers easy answers that we can put out there but unfortunately we do know that the data shows that I think at least in the in the US and, and Northern America it's like yeah. one in four women mm-hmm. will experience sexual trauma uh, before the age of 30. I think on the continent the numbers yeah. are quite staggering mm-hmm. as well. So it is a part of the fabric of the sex conversations we are yes. having is sexual trauma. Um, instances of early marriage are still part of many cultures female genital mutilation Mm -hmm. is still a part of the fabric that we live in so julie in in helping families and women navigate sexual trauma what do we need to know uh, if someone we know ourselves have experienced it what kind of needs to be like the first response to getting help for sexual trauma
1: the first point would be to believe what the person is saying You've got to trust what they've said because then you, you may be the first person that they have shared that with. And if they feel that they're not being believed, then whatever that they have experienced then becomes feels minimized and they feel that you know no one is going to believe me and they start doubting mm-hmm. themselves. So if somebody has trusted you with that information, hold that information and be able to let them know that you have heard them. You, you may not have the answers but how can you help them navigate what what the next steps might look for look like for them? Yeah, yeah.
0: When you have when someone has told you this information and they themselves are kind of struggling to get help mm-hmm. or, or not ready mm-hmm. for that stage, is it okay to push them towards getting help? You can't really can you push. No,
1: you, you can't really push somebody. You mm-hmm. can just let them know that there's help. These are the places which may be useful for providing help when you are ready. Some people are never ready. And then as the person who has heard the information, you then have to live with the frustration of knowing that they've made the decision to not take it further or not do anything about the trauma that they've experienced. But for them, if that's where they are at and that's as far as they can go with dealing with it, it's okay. Hmm. You're there to support, give them the information, but not push them. Because then you're maybe re-traumatizing them when they're not ready.
0: You're taking them to a
1: place where they're not ready to deal with what's going to happen next. aftermath of it.
0: At what point do you need to involve somebody else um, if they start to exhibit signs of other behaviors that you think may be linked to that trauma at some point what's you know starts to be red flags that they need some additional
1: support or you need support to support them? If they're self-neglecting, if they're harming themselves, if they're just their mental health is really deteriorating, really emotional, being able to say actually this is beyond my capacity to cope and help and manage them in any way that's going to be helpful, I need to do this for myself mm-hmm. as well as for them. Mm-hmm. So you're looking at the duty of care to them and to yourself at that point.
0: If you're a parent and this is your child, I assume yeah. maybe the first place may also be your your family doctor, your mm-hmm. pediatrician, so mm-hmm. then I'd start there. Um, we will link in the show notes some hotlines because I know mm-hmm. there are some available in Kenya that have been growing in, in terms of services mm-hmm. to people who have experienced sexual trauma. Um, in terms of just next steps for them in terms of healing, are there things that a friend can do other than listening? I mean, you know, you're saying you can't really push them to get help. Yeah. But are there some things? Should you be pushing them to get
1: outside for a walk? Should you be pushing them to go see a movie? I don't know. You- It takes us back to connection Hmm. because if somebody has been violated sexually and they're feeling traumatized from experience, they're going to want to isolate. They're going to isolate and neglect and maybe get into a pattern of self-destruction. So what you're trying to do is break that. You're trying to give them another reason to have activity, taking them out, as you said, exercise out in the sun, outside in the environment, even if it's just for a walk and you're not talking, listening to music, watching a movie, having some nice food, so you're able to sort of counteract the negative impacts rather on dopamine and serotonin. Yeah,
0: okay, yeah?
1: okay. So you're giving them something that makes the day a bit brighter. But equally, their day may be really gloomy, and you'll be there just sort of sat next to them whilst they're crying.
0: Right. Yeah. I think That's, I think, really powerful, because even if they're not ready to get help, there are some things within our power that yeah, we can do. Yeah, do
1: small things. Yeah, small things. Yeah, yeah. and encourage them to journal, mm. because they may reread that and think, actually, now I am ready. Look where I was, and look where I am now. You know, I'm ready to take steps further to work through this trauma. Thank you for that.
0: I think there's uh, unfortunately too much of this in the in those mm. communities that we live in, but I think it's empowering to feel that we can do something small. That listening, being there for friends, encourage them to eat and take a walk, and Little things like that can yes. actually be steps towards yeah baby healing. steps yeah baby steps baby absolutely. steps towards healing absolutely. for sure yeah thank you for that mm. well this this conversation is certainly one of those that I think you know could have gone for hours and hours <laughs> but I won't keep you all afternoon I know you hopefully have some Valentine's Day plans of yourself
1: I didn't <laughs> you celeb- I didn't celebrate Valentine yeah, either no, I just, it's just another. <laughs> it's another day. It's just another day. Plus my wedding anniversary is the following week. So that's what so there you we go. celebrate that. Yes. So day. How,
0: do you have any plans for your anniversary? I'll be at the coast. With your husband. Yeah. Okay. I didn't
1: know you didn't click yeah, here. I thought maybe you go by yourself.
0: That's a given. That's a
1: given. That's nice. So we'll be at the coast. For... Happy anniversary. Thanks. How you. many years is this for you? We'll be twenty. married 25. Wow. Yeah. The silver. Yeah. Yeah. Jeez!
0: Yeah.
1: Congratulations. Yeah. If I got it wrong. Oh, that's not
0: uh, tell. <laughs> congratulations. That's yeah. beautiful. Congratulations. Happy anniversary. Well, we like to end our show with a couple of questions we ask all of our guests.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So I didn't give you these in advance. Um, we'll see if I, how well I know you, because I think I know the answer to your first one. Okay. The first see. question is, what is your favorite drink? What are you drinking
1: these days? Um, well, in this gorgeous sunshine, I'm drinking uh, sparkling rosé.
0: Oh, I was wrong. <laughs>
1: I was gonna say
0: spark. I was gonna say bubbles, though, but I wouldn't.
1: I didn't put the rose on it.
0: Mm-hmm. But we did have that yummy rose sitting yes, <laughs> together. <laughs> I should have gotten that right. Yeah. Okay. Um, and of course, it's always we want to know what is bringing you joy.
1: Gosh, currently, mm, my children, because mm-hmm. they're all at sort of a stage where they're grown enough to make decisions and just sort of seeing them how they navigate life. Brings me great joy because then you think, "Gosh, this is a product of our parenting." Yeah, so that's bringing yeah. me a lot of joy. Product, and
0: also, like you said, product of how we all got here in the first exactly. place. Exactly. So yeah, <laughs> exactly. That's beautiful. Yeah. Shout that's, out to the three babies. Yeah, they're doing yeah. their thing. Yeah, thank you. Well, thank you for being on Salam and hello, Juliet. Mm-hmm. Value and appreciate you as a friend, as. The wisdom that you offer to the world and to our listeners, but to me also, thank every you. day. Thank we you, love Lily. you, thank and appreciate you, thank you, Lily. Thank you for being here. So, listeners, thank you for tuning in. I hope you heard something today that helps you feel connected, empowered. Uh, maybe just learn something new that you can apply in your Valentine's Day plans or just your daily life. And if so, we'd love to hear from you. So, send us a message on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter at Salam and Hello, and that's Salam with an E. I know everywhere else in the world you spell salam, S A L A M, but in Ethiopia we spell it with an E, so it's salam and hello. And you can always email me, lily at salamandhello.com. And until we meet again, take it easy. See you next week.